Thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you want to partner with us by giving into this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our Oklahoma City campus pastor, Oscar Ortiz. How's it going, Victory? How's everybody doing this morning? Want to welcome everyone watching online. Want to welcome our Edmond campus. Can we give it up for our Edmond campus this morning? Can we also give it up for our amazing lead pastor, Pastor John Chastain? Come on, Edmond, let's do it with me. We want to honor him. Thank you for his leadership. He's in California today or, or this weekend because of Pastor Jack Hayford's uh, funeral. But we want to let him know that we, we miss him and we're just so thankful for who he is as a person, but also as a leader for what he's done for our church. If anyone is joining us from Texas, want to welcome you as well. Uh, I got to be with our Grapevine campus last night. And I'm telling you, man, God is doing some very, very cool things in our church and thank you for being a part of that through your attendance through your support through your uh, through your prayers we know that god is going to be doing uh, continue to be doing amazing amazing things uh well I, I know that every week i see new faces i know we get new faces in edmond and Gretman and okc and in our glacier campus and so because of that i want to I want to tell you a little bit about myself if, if i haven't got a chance to meet you uh, i have an accent and, and yes, yes, I know. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because it kind of sets me apart, you know, uh, sets it up for the rest of the message that I get to share with you today. I, I was born about, uh, maybe about uh, 13 hours south of, of here, if, if you're single, about 25 if you got children. Um, and... I, uh, I was born and raised in, in Mexico, and there's obviously a lot of cultural things, but I want to share with you a story that I, I, I'm going to require some compassion from you, okay? Because I need, I need to hear a big, oh, after this. Thank you. No, I'm not t I haven't told you the story yet, okay? <laughs> At least fake it a little bit. Um, so one of the big differences that, that I had growing up was in, in school, in middle school, um, my, la my last grade there was eighth grade. So one of the things in middle school that they told us is you're not allowed to enter, enter a classroom uh, unless you ask this very important question. And that question was, may I come in? Pretty simple, pretty easy. And in fact, if you would walk through the door of your classroom and just kind of chill, the professor or the teacher would make you stand up and go back to the door until you asked the question. It's pretty respectful, you know, it's, it's tradition and everyone does it, or at least they used to when I was in middle school. And so I learned that you would stand at the door until you made a contact with a teacher and you said, may I come in? And he or she would not, and then you would walk your way in. 
Well, it didn't take me very long to realize that uh, things are a little different in U.S. schools. Because when I started high school, I brought my same expectation into a different culture. So my very first day in class, I was, I think it was a math class. I stood at the door and waited to make eye contact with a professor who was probably still going over his notes for the day. And I just waited. <laughs> See, someone, thank you, thank you. You know what, that makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside, thank you. I feel like I, I can be myself and it's, it's a safe place here. And so, and I would see a lot of people walking by, just walking by. And I'm just thinking, this is a, a, a nation of heathens. <laughs> and I just waited to the professor and, and I was just like, and one, so he finally, he makes eye contact with me and I'm just like, may I come in? And he just kind of looked at me like I was an alien, which I was, I mean, technically, um, <laughs> but uh, thank you. So <laughs> until my friends finally just said, just get over here. And I'm just like, well, I'm just doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And, but the thing is, uh, questions open doors and, and it's a good thing to you, for you to be a believer and have questions. It's a bad thing when you stop asking and you just, just believe it just because somebody else tells you. And I know a lot of us have questions. And I'm so glad you're here because if you have questions, you're in the right place. Because I believe that questions open doors and allow you to, to walk into rooms where there's greater revelation and there's greater connection. And we ha all have questions. But I don't want to just talk about the questions that you and I may have this morning. I want to talk about sometimes God has questions. But the difference is that when you and I have questions... It's because we truly don't have the answer, right? Unless you're a parent, then, you know, certain, some of your questions I ask your kids, you know what you're hoping to, to get from them. But God is different. When God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know. I mean, come on, he's God. But when he asks a question, it's because he's inviting you and opening the door for you and I and inviting you and I for greater revelation and for greater connection. In the story that we're about to read this morning, Jesus asks a question that allows him to reveal himself to his disciples and to a crowd of Roman, citizens, Roman uh, soldiers that were present with him. So as we get into this story, I want you to think about the question that God may have for you today. Because... If we don't get this question, and more importantly, if we don't get this answer about Jesus revealing himself, we could miss Christianity altogether. If you and I don't get the right Jesus from the Bible, we may be following a Jesus that isn't in the Bible. And that's very dangerous because if we miss the Jesus from the Bible, we might miss our, our purpose we're, we might miss our identity. We might miss our assignment here on earth. We might miss his revelation and connection that he's longing to have with us. 
So for this day, I want to talk about three questions from this passage. The first one is the one that Jesus asked, and it's simply this. Who are you looking for? The second question is, how will you respond? And the third question that we'll talk about this today is, what is God asking you to put back? You with me? Okay, let's go through our passage. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's word. It's John after, uh, out of John chapter 18. And it says, After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had, had, gone, had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? He said. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And Jesus said, as Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Talking to the father. Then Simon and Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into his sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the father has given me? I want to talk to you today about looking for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is alive. It can do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. And I just ask that everyone who's watching online, that everyone at, at all of our campuses may be closer to you than they have after today. May you reveal yourself to, to them in a way that they haven't seen or known or felt in a long time. And I thank you that it, this is possible because it is your heart to For us to know you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just like every movie that we watch, or at least most movies, a lot of them uh, start setting up and letting us know where the movie's taking place, the city or the setting. John, as a great writer, does the same thing. He lets us know that this is taking place in the Kidron Valley. Now, the Kidron Valley is right outside of Jerusalem. Right outside of Jerusalem. In fact, it is between the city of Jerusalem behind the temple and the Mount of Olives. Well, those are familiar places for Christians, but especially for people who are locals. And the thing about the Kidron Valley, the word Kidron means gloomy, sad, dark. And this valley... It's dry most of the time, but during rainy seasons, a river would start forming and flow all the way from right outside of Jerusalem to the Dead Sea. 
And the reason why the locals would call this Kidron or dark, gloomy, or sad is because oftentimes and during certain seasons of the year, this water would become stained with the blood that would come from sacrifices being done in the temple. Now, we know because of what the Bible tells us that this story is actually taking place during the celebration of the Feast of Passover. In the Feast of Passover, we're reminded what God did for the Jews try, uh, right before they left Egypt, when the angel of death would come and, and killed everyone who didn't have the blood stain of, of, of a lamb on their, on their doorposts. And on this specific season, because he was the week of Passover, thousands about thousands of Jews, Jews would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So that city in, in, in just within a few weeks would, would uh, multiply its attendance, which meant that the sacrifices would also multiply. It's speculated that during the week of Passover, over 250,000 sacrifices would be done. And all that blood would flow from the temple all the way to the Kidron Valley and would stain the, blood, the, the water. And this is where our story begins. Because this is the place where Judas is taking the soldiers as they walk over the Mount of Olives to arrest Jesus. Jesus is praying for, with his disciples and he sees the large crowd coming towards him to arrest him. So he approaches them and he asks them this question, who are you looking for? And it's a great question, but it's a weird question because we just read that Jesus was fully aware of everything that was going to happen. But it, the question was not just for the soldiers that were about to arrest them. The question was not just for Judas. The question was also for the disciples that are standing behind watching and listening to everything that's taking place. Who are you looking for? Which means that if Jesus puts a question in there, it's not just for the audience, but it is for you and I to reflect and to ponder and to consider as it relates to our relationship with Jesus when we come to him. Who are you looking for? When you come to church, who are you looking for? When you walk through life, when you, when you deal with things in life, who are you looking for? Because a lot of times we think it's a what. That our need is a thing. That the thing that can help us and satisfy our thirst and our hunger, it's a thing, it's a what. God simply is reminding you, reminding you and I today, what you're looking for, what you need, what you think you need is not a what, but it is a who. The thing that's going to change your life is not an it, it's a person, it is a who. Who are you looking for? Now remember, it was the disciples that have been with Jesus for three and a half years already. They should have known by now because of the claims that Jesus had done up until this point. They should have known who he, who he was. But as we read story after story, we recognize that Jesus was not the person that he, they thought he was. They were hoping and they thought that he was a political savior. That they were following him, yes, because of all the miracles and all the signs and the wonders. But they were following him because they wanted him 
to destroy the Roman Empire. And you were a Jew during that time, you would agree with them because of the treatment, the despicable and atrocious treatment of the Romans against the Jews. You would say, God, if you're truly God, then you will save us from our greatest enemies and you will destroy them. And that's what they thought. That was, that's what they were hoping for. Verse 2 says, Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. So Judas takes the soldiers to Gethsemane because he knew that they were going to be there as Jesus would often meet with his disciples there so that they could be arrested. And it was a garden. Remember that it was a garden where, where Adam fell. And, and Adam sinned, and he was separated from God. But it was the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus triumphs through surrender. Jesus went to the garden even though he knew he was going to be arrested. Jesus went to the garden even though he knew what was about to happen. If, I, if it was me, I would have said, Jesus, let's just skip the garden today. You can go to the garden any other time. Let's, let's prolong this for a little bit. Come on, let's get some more signs and wonders. Let's get, a, let's get the crowd bigger. You know, let's, I, I mean, that's our, our, our human nature sometimes. Let's make this, let's blow it up on social media. People will know. But we get a different Jesus as he allows himself to go to the Gethsemane. And the word Gethsemane means oil press. Because there's uh, a lot of olive trees and they would gather these olives to press and to, to make olive oil. So we're reminded that when you feel the pressure getting to you, that you'll find Jesus there. That we're reminded when you're in the struggle, when your relationships are in tension, that you can find Jesus there too. Because he does not walk away from the pressure of life. You will find him in your Gethsemane. Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. I don't know what questions you have forgot today. I don't know what issues, what struggle that, that you brought here today. Maybe you are here looking. It's struggling. Because Jesus is not the one you hoped he was or doing what you thought he was going to be doing. But his, simple, his invitation is simple to you this morning. If you look for him, you will find him. He is not hiding from you. Regardless from what darkness you find yourself in, you may be feeling like your life is being crushed and pressed on every side. Jesus is there with you. Which leads us to the second question. How will you respond? What will you do when you find the Jesus of the Bible? Or maybe the question for you today is, what have you done with the Jesus that you have found? What have your response, has your response been since you found him? Verse 5 and 6 says, who are you looking for? He asked Jesus the Nazarene. They replied, I am he, Jesus said. Judas who betrayed him was standing with him. And Jesus said, as Jesus said, I am he. They all drew back and fell to the ground. 
Now, the scripture tells us that Judas was leading or guiding a Roman contingent, and a contingent is a tenth of a legion. A legion is 6,000 soldiers, which makes a contingent 600 soldiers. Why would they take so many soldiers? There were more than 600 soldiers because they also carried Jewish authorities with them. So can you imagine this large crowd with torches and fires going after Jesus? And they took that many because they were ready in case that there was an insurrection of people against the Romans. This is, I mean, can you imagine the, the chaos for a little bit of trying to find Jesus? So when Jesus noticed this, he gets between the disciples and the soldiers and he tells them, asks them, who are you looking for? When they said Jesus of Nazareth, he, he replaced, I am he. But in English, it's three words, I am he. In the Greek, it's only two words. It's ego, eimi, which simply means I am. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And at these two simple words, they drew back and fall to the ground. Over 600 soldiers watching this. Christ responds, almost giving them a flashback of what happened in Exodus 3. He responds echoing God's self-identification when Moses was standing in front of the burning bush. And God speaks to him and says, I need you to go back to Pharaoh and to let them know to let my people go. Moses says, well, who do I say is sending me? And God says, I am who I am, Exodus 3 tells us. And he said, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Just I am. So when Jesus responds to their question, he was saying, God is God. There's no beginning. There's no ending. He is the uncreated one. He is not depending on anything or anyone. Everyone depends on him for their existence. He simply is, I am. In other words, he was saying to them, yes, I am Jesus of Nazareth, but I am also the great I am. Jesus, with his word, is proving that he is fully God and fully man. Now, the Roman soldiers are just standing there. And I don't know, I don't know that all 600 of them would have heard the I am, to be honest with you. Which makes this story even more wonderful. Here's what we know about the Roman soldiers. They would have these awesome looking sandals. But because they were ready for war, these sandals would have nails at the bottom of their sandals and pieces of, of metal. Because that would help them remain stable and established regardless of the mud or terrain. These guys were built so they would not be shaken or moved. They were ready for blood. They were battle trained, the greatest army of its time. They were ready for the insurrection. But as Jesus says two words, they're shaken all the way to the point that they fall to the ground. And let me remind you, the realization that Jesus is the great I am should in fact take us to the ground. The Roman army facing a mild and, be and meek carpenter from Nazareth. A rabbi cannot stand two words that come out of his mouth. 
which tells us something about what happens when you're in the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. When Ezekiel has an encounter with God, the Bible tells us that he fell to the ground before his presence. Second Chronicles tells us that priests, when the glory of God would come to the temple, that they would fall to the ground. When Isaiah has a revelation of who, G of who God is, he says, I am undone. In other words, I am falling apart. Why? Because when you truly have found Jesus, you can't help but to allow your heart to worship and to stand in awe of who he is. That's why we bow down before him, because we recognize his greatness. His name alone can shake the foundation of your life. The soldiers fell while the disciples stood. I wonder if it should have been the other way around. Here's what I'm here to remind you. The only way to stand with Jesus in eternity is to bend your knee today in humility. It is traumatic to be in the presence of the living God because we're sinful. We are undone. We're full of sin that separates us from God. But we're in the presence of the infinite one who is holy and perfect. We lose our footing. Getting close to God is traumatic. It will change and mark your life forever. Gethsemane was a place of crushing, but if but your response to his presence can turn it from a place of crushing to a place of wonder where God's power is manifested. I don't know if you're feeling crushed and you're wondering where God is in the midst of all of this. You have an opportunity to respond to him. Will you just allow yourself to be crushed by the weight of life? Or will you turn this, this moment into a moment where God shows you who he is and allows you to wonder once again in his presence? Don't lose the sense of his greatness. The truth is, you and I were not looking for Jesus. We did not find him. He found us because he is great. He was looking for us. Jesus coming to this earth was a rescue mission. So we land on our third and final question where we will spend the rest of our time, which is, what is God asking you to put back? Verse 10 and 11 says, Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into his sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Peter came to this mountain, to this Mount of Olives with a plan. He came expecting a fight. A fight where he knew he was in full control. But when Jesus didn't turn out to be the political savior that he was hoping for, He went back to something that he was very comfortable with and knew how to control. He picked up the sword. And I know it's easy sometimes to look at Peter and to judge him, but let's be honest. It's easy for us too. That even after knowing and walking with Jesus for some time, we too can go back to viewing him as just another part of life. We check that box every Sunday morning just to make sure we're still good, but he no longer leads our life. We say things like, you, don't just make him your savior, make him your Lord. When in reality, we know that he cannot be our savior unless he is our Lord. 
Because he alone holds words of eternal life. How many times we come to God and we think we're in control? We, maybe not intentionally, but somewhere in our walk with Jesus, we almost let him know, God, I got this this time. I, I, I can do this on, on my own. I can change my marriage. God, I can deal with this issue. I can handle this battle. But when we try to take matters into our own hands, sometimes innocent bystanders are the ones who end up getting hurt. Sometimes it's our children who can no longer listen because of the hurt that we have caused. Are you with me? Sometimes these are the people closest to us. Because we too hold a sword next to us. That we're ready to pull out at any time our expectations are not met. So that we don't get hurt again. Maybe your parents dealt with divorce like mine did. So the sword that I carry with me sometimes, it's a sword called divorce. And that I used to struggle because I, at any time my marriage, I thought my marriage was not working, I was ready to pull it out saying, see, I knew it. And I go back to what's comfortable to me. What's your sword? What's your dagger? The thing about the sword, it was not a large sword. It was small enough to be concealed that no one saw it. But the person who had it felt it. What is your preferred concealed weapon? It's Oklahoma, so I know. I know you. <laughs> Maybe it was bitterness. Maybe it was pain. That you're just ready. At any time someone brings it out, you're ready to bring it out so that you won't get hurt again. Maybe it was abuse. Maybe it was church hurt. Or a pastor or a leader did something, said something, and you promise, I will never be hurt again. I can do this on my own. God, you do your thing, I will do mine. And mock is is the one who ends up getting hurt. And the people that watch you at work, and the people that watch you at school, the people that watch you at home are the ones watching you. And they're saying, You're, aren't you one of those that were with Jesus? Why, why aren't people listening anymore? Why do my children not listen to me? Maybe because you're bringing out the dagger that you're trying to protect yourself from. Put the sword back. It doesn't belong with you. It doesn't belong out. Just because it is part of your past, it doesn't mean it has to be part of your future. Put the sword back. Let go of thinking people are your enemy. Thinking your spouse and your children are the enemy. Stop looking for Christians you can oppose to on social media because you feel like you're called to defend Jesus with your words. 
put the sword back. The fight for your soul isn't in the natural. For your marriage is not in the natural. For your children is not in the natural. You can use your degree. You can use your personality. You can use your knowledge. The war for your soul and for the soul of those you love is a war that you can't win. But thank Jesus that he steps away from us and he steps between the soldiers that are coming out to get us and he says you shall not get to them. I am the one you want they will be let go don't touch them I am the one you want I am the one who will die for them you will not get to them like Moses said to Pharaoh Jesus is saying to the enemy that is coming after you you shall let them go but you must put the sword back and this is the part of the story that I don't really understand because it did Peter just really think that his dagger was going to be able to handle over 600 soldiers? How often do we think that we're really special and that God can't do it without us? How often do we try to make ourselves the hero of our life, the hero of our ministry? And we say, God couldn't do it without me. Sometimes we even sing it. We have these conversations as a, as a worship thing sometimes and we, we, we try to di dissect every song that we sing because it's important. It's more likely that you'll remember songs over sermons. So we want to make sure that what we're singing is good and full theology. And there's a, there's a part of a song that, that we no longer sing. It's probably a song that you probably hear all the time that you love. That's probably, I mean, you've cried to before. And we sing parts of the song, but there's a part that we no longer sing because of this. And it's a song. Should I tell the name of the song? Yeah, anyway, I'm going to tell you anyway. It's what a beautiful name it is. It's a great song. When it points you to Jesus. But there's one part that says... You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. Now think about that. We're thinking God is saying, I'm so lonely up here. I don't want all of this unless I have them. <sighs> We're the center of the gospel, aren't we? Everything in our culture, I mean, it makes sense. Everything in our culture is saying you are highly valued. Your opinion matters everywhere, all the time. You deserve the best. You are the greatest. Uh, come on, some of you got, have this on a cup, on a coffee cup. You are enough. Some of you drank some coffee this morning, and as you read, you are enough. I mean, you just brought tears to your eyes. I am enough. Sip. And I am enough, but I need more sip. I am enough when I have coffee. I am unique and spectacular. I'm going to read to you probably a tenth of the scriptures because we don't have the time to see what the Bible says about this, that our culture, that is anti-cultural. Isaiah 43 says, we were created for his glory. Isaiah 49 says, God calls Israel, not because he loved Israel, 
but because he wanted to display his glory. Psalm 106, God rescues Israel from Egypt for his name's sake to show his power. Romans 9, God raised Pharaoh to show his power and glorify his name. John 7, Jesus is seeking God's glory. John 16, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son of God. It's all for him. Let me give you one more. Psalm 23, you have probably heard of it. And it's a great psalm because it begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not, oh, thank you, Lord. Mm, so beautiful, I will not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Okay, let's be honest, makes me is a triggered word, but it's at least green pastures, so I'll take it. It's green pastures. Thank you, Jesus, for my grace. He leads me behind, beside still waters. Oh, come on, here's an Instagram selfie coming up right next to the still waters. Oh, I love this so much. He restores my soul. Picture of your legs right in front of the pool so that you can post it. God is restoring my soul right now. He leads me into paths of righteousness. Wow, it's all about me until you get to this next part that says, for his name's sake. What? Um, can you, Pastor Oscar, can you read that different version for that? Um, the, the version that says that I am the center of his attention. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. Maybe I am a little bit. I'm just trying to remind you, we're not the center of the gospel. His love for the Father is. Because he wanted to honor him. Because he wanted to obey him. The Bible is more than just a story about God's, God redeeming men. It's about God working on humanity to show his glory and to show his power for the sake of his name. But Pastor Oscar, God told me I'm going to be famous. No, he called you to make him famous. Pastor Oscar, God called me to be, to be, to be great and, and to be destined for greatness. No, he told you to show his greatness. There's a version of this story that I love because it's Matthew telling us this side of the story. It's in Matthew 25, and this is Jesus and that scene telling his Peter and his disciples, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus is saying, what are you doing, Peter? Now, let's do a little bit of math. We, if you're paying attention, we know a legion is how many soldiers? 6,000. 12 legions is 72,000 angels. So Jesus is saying, I have at my disposal more than 72,000 angels. Now let's try to figure out what one angel can do. And thanks to the Bible, we can. 2 Kings 19 tells us that one single angel killed 185,000 people in one night. That's one angel. 185,000 people in one night. Can you imagine what 72,000 angels could handle 13 billion 320 million people so then I got excited I was like "Ooh, how many people were alive on the earth around that time about 300 million which means that Jesus was telling Peter and his disciples that he could have taken care of the population of the earth 44.4 times over. And God is not saying this to make you feel bad. He, he, he's reminding you that he's for you. That's why he stepped away from the disciples. 
to get in between the soldiers and them. He's telling you. He's reminding you. He can handle it. The question is, will you let him? What is God asking you to put back? What is the Holy Spirit telling you today that you've been trying to use that is no longer, that has no use for you, for your future anymore? We're going to go back to a, a time of worship, and this is what we're going to do. Just, just respond. Maybe you're here and you forgot to respond. Maybe you've lost the awe of who God is. So Edmund and OKC, here's what we're going to do. I might invite you to stand just for a couple of moments. And before we go into, into worship, I'm going to pray. But if you need to get away from your seat, if you need to come to the altar, if you need to kneel where you are, I encourage you, don't let this moment go by where you don't respond. Judas and the soldiers walked away being in God's presence and didn't know it. And they left unchanged. Don't let that happen to you. It doesn't mean that you have butterflies or anything. It just means that you're saying, God, help me not to forget the wonder of who you are in my life. Let's pray. Father, we just welcome your Holy Spirit into our lives. Help us respond to you, God, in a way that, that allows us To show your greatness, to see your greatness, to sense your power. We thank you that you're working in hearts. We thank you that you're helping us, giving us the strength to put back that which you're calling us to, to put back. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church/give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.